0: Welcome to the X and Hilo podcast. I'm your host Eddie Williams. We're on episode 12. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking about um, getting it in in the gym. I, I know that's something that's foreign to us so far on the show, but super glad to finally jump into something like this because truth be told, you know, I'm obviously a a, a huge uh, I don't know gym buff. I don't know. I don't want to say that I'm a you know, some sort of meathead in the gym or something like that. But <laughs> I'm uh, definitely in the gym quite a bit. Love working out, enjoy it a lot, and obviously was part of my former job, so needed to do it. <laughs> We're talking about today uh, one of my favorite tools in the gym, uh, the kettlebell. Kettlebell is something that's super versatile, and uh, our guest today, Pat Flynn, I'll get into his bio in just a second, is a kettlebell specialist, and. He's going to teach us how to get ripped quickly uh, in just a few minutes a day of working out. And uh, if you uh, Google Pat, you can take a few uh, looks at his pictures around the web and you can see that he's definitely practicing what he preaches and you'll get to hear his story. But first, our uh, weird fact of the day is about the kettlebell. The kettlebell actually has a flat base. I think you probably know that if, you know, if you've ever seen one. And it looks a lot like a teapot without a spout. And that's why the name kettlebell came uh, into fruition. Unlike the dumbbell, the kettlebell's center mass extends beyond its hand. So the kettlebells are swung, thrown, and juggled, pressed, and held, and moved, and manipulated in just about a hundred ways. And that's why it's so prevalent for working out. But did you know that the kettlebell, we know it today, was actually... Actually started in Russia. It began in Russia about 350 years ago, and the first the first time it appeared in the uh, Russian dictionary was 1704. And it was originally used, and this is why it was created. To it was originally used as counterweights to uh, to weigh out dry goods on market scales. And so they would place goods on one side of the of the scale, and then the kettlebell another to say, okay, this is X amount of kilograms of wheat or barley or fish or whatever it was and so that was its original creation and someone got and someone wised up uh to that and said man we could use this to actually uh get stronger and so there's our weird fact very cool stuff on with our guest pat flynn pat is a fitness minimalist and Yes, you're going to hear a lot about that. what that means in just a bit. And he believes any exercise program will improve in direct ratio to the number of things you can leave out of it that shouldn't be there. So there's kind of the definition of a fitness minimalist. He's the founder of the Chronicles of Strength website, and I definitely will link that in the show notes for you to check that out. And he is the chief contributor to the Chronicles of Strength Inner Circle, a monthly newsletter dedicated to helping you reach your goals through fitness minimalism. Pat is also the author of paleo workouts for dummies and fast diets for dummies both of which you can find at your local bookstore or on Amazon so I'm excited to jump in with our guest on the xniho podcast Pat Flynn welcome back to the Nihilo podcast I'm your host Eddie we've got our guest Pat Flynn with us pat how's it going Eddie, it is going great. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And, you know, just at first glance, I don't know if you go by this, but you're definitely the kettlebell specialist. I just finished, and I'm not the kettlebell specialist, by the way. I just finished my, ironically and weirdly enough, coincidentally, I did, did my kettlebell circuit workout today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can imagine that it probably isn't as either skilled technique wise or even uh, as elaborate as one of yours. Am I well, wrong? the thing.
1: The thing, well, the thing that I love about the kettlebell is you don't need a lot of
0: technical proficiency
1: to get a good workout.
0: Awesome, okay. right?
1: And, and that's why that's one of the reasons I love the kettlebell so much is because you know I, I work with everybody, um, mm-hmm. but you know I work with a lot of a lot of people who are pretty new to exercise, and the kettlebell has always been a tool for me that it it's very it's very approachable, right? We can we can teach somebody awesome. to use a tool you know, with good technique in a pretty short amount of time. It's not like trying to teach somebody a barbell snatch or right. something like that. And the way that I approach exercise is, you know, mostly from a manner of, of efficiency. So, you know, I'm always trying to think of ways of, you know, how, how can we get the result that we want in, in the least number of steps that we need? So if I don't have to teach somebody a barbell snatch, which I rarely do, and, and they can just do kettlebell swings, for example, mm-hmm. that's a lot of time saved and a lot of, you know, potential injury risk reduced.
0: Absolutely. And and yeah, I mean, I've got some kettlebell training, just my background in athletics and that sort of thing. But we're going to get into some of the, uh, the nitty the nitty gritty and some of the nuts and bolts of you know how you take maybe a beginner through some of the kettlebell stuff. But first, why don't we talk a little bit about you, man? Where, give me an idea where you're from. Give me your you know your fifty thousand foot overview bio of who Pat Flynn is.
1: Oh, sure. I, not too exciting of a of a background, but I think one thing that makes me very relatable to people is you know I I wasn't a star athlete or anything like that. I grew up you know pretty to significantly overweight as a child. I was very unhealthy. I often despised exercise. You know, I was the kid who would who would try to skip out of gym class, especially whenever we knew we had to run the mile, right, or do the pull ups. Um, but eventually, you know, towards my teens, at the beginning of high school, um, I, I had enough. You know, my family was was always very unhealthy. Um, you know, a lot of that was was uh, those habits were passed on to me. Um, there was definitely some, some pressure if for, for a better word, maybe for bullying uh, that inspired me. Um, I took up um, as my first like introduction to working out, I actually took up martial arts. So Taekwondo is my background and I, I had a great coach that got me started with, with lifting weights. Um, and I was very fortunate to have him because he was, he was a very skilled strength and conditioning coach who also happened to be my martial arts instructor. So he taught me from a, from a young age, the importance of good technique, um, you know, how to actually program, uh, exercise to get certain results. And he, he set me on the right path. And what happened is I, you know, I started to see these changes in my body and that really inspired me to move forward. And, you know, if you would have asked me a year before, if, I would have ever saw myself as anything other than a fat kid. I probably would have said, probably not. So that inspired me to do a couple things. One, it inspired me to get into the best shape I possibly could get in, but also to try and replicate what what he did for me and other people. And that is to be able to take people who, you know, maybe they're pretty deep in the hole and, and pull them out. Um, so, you know, from there, I went and got a, any number of certifications and, and education. I became the youngest to ever receive the RKC, which was the original Russian Kettlebell Challenge certification. And kind of as I hinted at before, I love the kettlebell because it, it really is a, a tool that we can use to teach people. How to move. It's not something that I that I use exclusively. I, I do a lot with barbells. I do a lot with body weight, um, but I've really found that the kettlebell is kind of the every man's tool. So that that's kind of my story from you know ten thousand feet. If there's any other you know details you want to get out of it, I'd be happy to discuss it. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's great. I mean, and I have that similar background of very unhealthy upbringing and uh, you know parents and family members and friends kind of influencing me in that direction too. And very similar to you, you know, I found my you know, my release in in, in sports and, and exercise and working out. And so we, we share that in common. Um, give me, you know, your site, Chronicles of Strength, give me the mission and mission behind that. I think you touched on that, but let's talk a little bit of how that got started and, and why you're doing it.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, originally it got started because I was, you know, I, was a, I was a young kid who wanted to teach people exercise. I didn't know really what to do. But um, I think there's, there's value in that. Just, just, just doing something and acting and getting something started. It, again, it was, some, it was something at the time that I, I never knew it would become anything. And within a few years, it became a you know, top five hundred health and wellness blog in the world. And I started getting a ton of coaching clients online. But my vision for it, you know, evolved over time. It wasn't like I, I started with some grand idea, right? And I think so, I, I think that's important for a lot of people to know with starting out. Um, you know, from for anybody who wants to, to follow any kind of you know, self-employment or, or start their own business you don't need some great idea starting out. You just need to get started and start figuring things out as you move along. But my vision now is definitely minimalism. So I, I often say that I'm the guy who can help you reach your goals by doing the least amount that you need, right? Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to describe that is minimalism would be where effectiveness meets efficiency. We're, we're doing the right things means, meets you know, doing things right, right? You know, and so much of this stems from the idea of me trying to make exercise as practical and approachable for people, because I know for me, growing up, you know so much of, of why I was, I guess, repelled by exercise was because, you, know, one, I, I didn't find anything that I liked to do. Um, two, a lot of it it was just a bit overwhelming to start. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you break it down even more, you know minimalism makes, to me at least, a, a lot of sense because if you only have to do X to get Y, then, then why would you do X plus one, right? Mm-hmm. So cool. I, I often say that I think any exercise program will improve in direct ratio to the number of things you can leave out of it that shouldn't be there and it kind of tie that into the, the old 80-20 rule or Pareto principle because we know, you know there's, there's a million things you could do. But if, if you want to get stronger and lose weight and increase your mobility, then there's only a few things you really need to do right? Mm-hmm. and it's, it's keeping your focus on, the, on those efforts um, that are going to yield the greatest results um, that I found you know, will get, not only get the greatest results but save people a lot of time
0: mm-hmm. and motivate
1: them and encourage them to keep going. So
0: that, that would be That's my huge. View. Yes. That's huge. Yeah, and I was thinking that same thing, that Pareto principle, right? And you're, I mean, not only are you saving people time, but you're, you're most likely keeping them healthy, the, preventing them from overtraining, uh, and you're keeping them motivated. So there's a lot of, a lot of good things there. Okay, so that probably ties into the kettlebells. So why the kettlebells then?
1: Well, um, one other thing um, about that, yeah, go ahead. that that I think is interesting is um, you know sometimes when you know you have to do an hour workout right it, it seems a little tedious. You can sometimes write that off and say oh, "I'll do that tomorrow. I don't have an hour today, right But if you can you know have somebody just do a five minute workout or a ten minute workout mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they're likely to start that and do that a lot more often and a lot more frequently than an hour workout. And then what typically happens is you're 5 minutes in, you're feeling good and you might you might work out for 10, 15, 20 minutes anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of practicality to that. Um, the kettlebell, uh, as far as a minimalist perspective, I you know, I, I do believe it's an every man's tool. You can you can cover just about all the fundamental human movements with it, pushing, um, hinging, squatting, Pulling's a little limited for that. I would recommend getting a pull-up bar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's convenient, you know. I have kettle. You go go on any floor of my house, you're you're bound to run into some kind of kettlebell. To my wife's great dismay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and beyond that is if you get a good coach, and that's important. Whenever you start lifting weights, you should absolutely start with some kind of coach or guidance. But if you get a good coach, the kettlebell then becomes a, a tool that you can use to learn how to move your body through certain positions, through good technique, learn those hinging patterns, those squatting patterns. I found it's immensely more easy to teach somebody how to squat with a kettlebell than it is with a barbell and oftentimes their own body weight, especially if you use something like a goblet squat. It's very, very intuitive. So beyond a a tool for strength or conditioning, which the kettlebell is great for, and I think its versatility really shines, especially in the conditioning realm, um, I really look at it as as a tool that we can use to teach people proper and fundamental movement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've used it for some of those things as well. And I mean, it one of the, it's one of the things you can do, like you mentioned, not only are you going to get a good strength workout in, but you're going to get some conditioning aspect to that and build some aerobic and anaerobic um, uh, training in there as well. And so that's super helpful. And then you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was I came across your you know, 300 swings a day. Um. Yeah. That's for fat loss, and and so so for, some people are going to see that, and they're going to they're going to go. There's no way, I'm ever going to swing a kettlebell 300 times a day. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this method I've heard of this method before. So explain this and why it's effective.
1: Well, well, fundamentally the premise is very simple. If you if you just add more movement to your day, that's typically going to you're going to see some results from that, right? Yeah. And and 300 swings is, is interesting. It sounds like a lot, but if you've swung a kettlebell before, then you could probably figure that you could get 300 swings done in probably about 10 to 15 minutes. It doesn't take that long, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know so there's a few points I'd want to cover about this first is you don't have to do them all at once right you could do 50 swings in the morning you could do 50 swings later in the morning a few around lunch and a few around dinner right so it's a cumulative effect you don't have to do it all at once great great if you if you do um but one thing that i often recommend for people is is hey do leave a kettlebell around your house and whenever you walk by that thing just do a set of swings whether it's 10 20 30 you know, whatever you're comfortable with, right? And then by the end of the day, you know, it, it's not that difficult to rack up 300. And, and the number 300, I found, is is a good number to shoot for uh, because, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not too cold. It's not too hot, right? It's just right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan John, uh, a guy that I really look up to, has something called a 500 swing challenge, which is, is a little different because you do do them all at once, and that one's really intense. So mm-hmm. I scaled this one back a little bit. And uh, if you're just starting out, you don't have to start with 300 swings a day. You know, everyone's at a different level. 300 might be a little too much to start. That's fine. You know, do some type of ramp-up program. Maybe start with 50, take the next day off, then try 100 the following day. Take two days off, then go up to 250. See how you feel, right? Because if you've never swung a kettlebell before... Uh, as I'm sure you, you you can attest to Eddie, uh, you'll be pretty sore after the first time you Do that, even if you're even if you're you know pretty in shape, just because it's such a different movement. Um, you know the, the ballistic nature of it, it, it. I've rarely met anybody who, after the first time swinging a kettlebell, even for just you know 50 reps, um, doesn't have a hard time walking down some steps the next day.
0: <laughs> yeah. It- I right, we're gonna I'm gonna just kind of digress here a little bit, but you're I came across your nine minute kettlebell complex from hell, so yeah. might be <laughs> that might set you back a little bit. <laughs> what what is that? And before you scare off all our listeners, you don't have to start. With nine minute kettlebell complex from hell like Pat said. No,
1: no, no, no. That that one I would say is a little more advanced. So like going back to the swing, the swing is great because it's a, it's a fantastic conditioning exercise, burns a ton of calories, um, really strengthens the posterior chain, the low back, the glutes, the hamstrings, um, you know those postural muscles. Um, but it's just one thing you can do with the kettlebell. Yeah. Um, but something like my nine minute kettlebell complex, and I have I have tons of those, really start to um, I don't want to say get complex, but they get more interesting, right? Because nothing you do with a kettlebell is is that technically complex. Snatching is probably the most, but again, compared to like a barbell snatch, you know, you can learn a kettlebell snatch in, in much shorter time than a barbell snatch. Yeah. Um, but what's great about the kettlebell is how you can just flow from movement to movement, so you can keep the system working as a whole, right, while switching through various muscle groups, and you get this this huge. Um, you know, metabolic effect. We, we, you know, we would call this like a metabolic conditioning workout, right? Uh, and what's, what's fantastic about that is you can burn a mountain of calories in very little time. You can work multiple muscle groups, multiple energy systems, while training multiple movement patterns with one tool uh, in, you know, say like nine minutes. And it's fantastic. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's just the kind of practicality they need. And you know when it comes to intense exercise like that, because it is a very intense workout. You know, less is definitely more. And one trend that alarms me, especially in this industry, is is how quickly people overdo intense exercise, right? Mm-hmm. And how quickly they get injured, and how quickly they burn out. But I mean, the, the research and the science is very clear: you do not need that much intense exercise uh, to get really good results. You know, so long as other things are in order like your nutrition Mm -hmm. and you know too much intense exercise is 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 very obviously a a harmful thing you can start Mm -hmm. to experience overtraining and reverse progress and throw your hormones out of whack and cortisol so you know minimalism again kind of prevails there in a sense that hey if we only need to do nine minutes or 15 minutes of intense exercise however many days a week then then let's just do that right Mm -hmm. because because more is rarely more um but to kind of circle back around i think that's where kettlebell um shines again is is in metabolic conditioning and getting that, that most efficient workout that you can possibly get.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and in my background, obviously football is it almost it's very much the opposite of that. So we go into the gym and we've got, you know, an hour and a half you know, ninety minutes of of lifting real heavy. We're doing some Olympic lifts, we're doing some traditional strength exercises, bench press, squats, lots of auxiliary exercises. Um, obviously, there's some stuff in there like foam rolling and mm-hmm. um, some band work, uh, stuff like that. But then we're out on the field and we're conditioning. So we, so now you're looking at, you know, not just a 90 minute workout, but maybe two plus, maybe almost three hours of working out, oh, three, yeah. three, four, sometimes five times a day. Some of those lifts coupled with a practice, um, and so. It, most of our, obviously our, my listeners, aren't gonna be in that situation. They're more people that have everyday jobs, they're gonna be people that you know, work nine to fives, they're people that have families and have hobbies. They don't have time like that and they don't wanna get huge. So what you're saying really falls in line with what they're looking at, a minimalist approach. I've got 30 minutes to work out, I've got 45 minutes to work out, I've got 20 minutes to work out. What can I do that'll give me the most bang for my buck and keep me in the best shape? Exactly, I mean that, that's exactly it. Okay. So like I said, most of my folks are, they're, they might be more normal people. They're, they're business leaders. They're whatever they are. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're normal and they don't have that fitness background. So, and I've gone to the gym and I know you have too, and have seen people just butchering the kettlebell and they're just Mm -hmm. destroying their body. What are some of the things that they're doing wrong that you, that you kind of take notice on?
1: Um, well, there's a lot of common mistakes that people make with the kettlebell. The first one is, is, is rounding the back, right? So when whenever you're doing a type of kettlebell swing, one of the most important things that I do when I teach the kettlebell swing is, is is teach people how to keep a neutral spine, which which just means a flat back in layman's term, right? That crown the coccyx alignment, where the back of your head is is in a straight line with your tailbone, right? And and that that's going to do a couple of things. One, it's going it's going to make sure that your hips are properly producing and reducing the force, and your low back isn't taking you know kind of the the brunt of it. Uh, it's also going to make sure that that your producing as much force as you possibly can with a, in a rounded back position you're just not going to be as as powerful so that's that's one mistake right now how you fix that you know there's there's many different ways that you can use uh one thing that i like is just put a broomstick on your back and that broomstick should touch three points of contact right it should touch the back of your head the top of your upper back your thoracic spine and your your sacrum or your tailbone and what you should do is you should practice doing a swing without any weight, right? Just 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 mimicking the movement, miming the movement where you push the hips back, and as you push the hips back, that that broomstick should stay on all three points of contact at all times. If you can't if you can't maintain those three points of contact, then you know that's your litmus test. You really don't have any business doing a swing until you can do that. Mm-hmm. So that's one drill that that you can use. I have a tutorial of that, I believe, somewhere in my YouTube video, and that's mm-hmm. that's one. Drill you could use to fix that one mistake. Um, another mistake I see people doing with the swings is they is they sometimes get a little squatty with it. So there's there's two movement patterns we kind of have to differentiate. There's a hinge and then there's a squat. And the easiest way to tell the difference between these two is in a hinge, your hips go back, right? So if you're standing up, if you were to hinge, your butt would just start to push straight back towards the wall behind you. Your knees will bend, but they won't go forward, right? So it's kind, of, it's kind of hard to describe verbally without seeing it, but imagine you're kind of like a bow and arrow and you're pushing your hips back, right? You're folding at the, at the hips, but keeping your back straight. In a squat, your hips go down. So this is where you, you literally drop your butt right between your legs and you're trying to get you know, that, your butt as low to your ankles as you possibly can. So your knees are going to bend and go forward in a squat. So a swing should be a hinge, meaning your hips go back, right? Uh, but uh, what happens is so many people were so used to squatting and so few people have ever practiced the hinging movement that they tend to get very squatty with their swings. And and that's not the purpose. I wouldn't say it's inherently dangerous. It's just kind of defeating the reason why we would do the swings to begin with, which is to develop that strong hinging pattern and that posterior force development or force production. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, you know, we have squats to handle squats. That's why we do goblet squats and front squats. Exactly. Um, so, so learning and knowing the difference between a hinge and a squat I think is very important. And I think the easiest way to figure out the difference for yourself is if you were going to do a long jump or a broad jump where you're jumping outwards, that's, that, that move that first initial movement pattern where you push <laughs> your hips back before you jump out, that would be the closest thing to a hinge or a swing, right? Yeah. Um and that's something that I'll, I'll sometimes recommend that people do is you know do if do a few broad jumps. You don't even have to leave the ground. Just imagine that you were going to jump out and just naturally watch where your hips go. They'll go back, not down. And then try and replicate that movement with your swing. So those would be the two biggest uh, or most common mistakes that I see um you know but there's there's any number of mistakes after that uh but the most dangerous one, the one that could lead to the most injury would definitely be not maintaining a a flat back position.
0: Sure. Yeah. And why don't we get together and you send me over some of those videos or I'll scour your your YouTube page and and make sure that those make it to the show notes in case anyone wants to uh, take a look at some of those, uh, prevent those injuries. One of the things I see um, in the gym every now and then is I'll see people doing the swing or they're doing the squat, particular in some of the goblet squat stuff. I start to see their their knees buckle inward. Yep, mm-hmm. and that's pretty, and that's a common thing. I said, "What would you What would you say to if someone that's kind of got that issue? How can they kind of correct that?"
1: Yeah, so one of the best ways to fix an issue like that is to to try and actually make the mistake a little bit worse, or, or try to feed the mistake. So one thing that you can do. Um, is put a band around their knees where it's trying to pull their knees inward as they squat, and what's going to happen is as they squat, they're going to be forced to push their knees back out against the band. Um, and and this is a, a good strategy anytime you see. So like you know, if you see a valgus collapse where the knee is bowing in like that, um, you, you want to apply enough pressure. You know, to get the response you want, but no more. So, if somebody's knee is bowing inward, we want to apply a thick enough band that they start to to correct the mistake, right? Mm. And then you want to continue to use that band over and over again until until you know that correction is is concrete. Or use a thinner and thinner band to go along, uh, because the truth is is you can't really tell why that's happening to begin with, right? Why their knee is bowing in? It could it could be any number of reasons, right? But but from a from a pure coaching standpoint we don't have to know why we just have to know how to fix it right mm-hmm. And good. the best way that i found how to fix it is exactly that if we can feed the mistake and get a, re- a, a sort of a compensation or a correction measure to reverse that mistake that's going to be the quickest and easiest way to deal with that and i'm i'm very much a minimalist when it comes to corrective exercise as well you know what is the what is the you know the least we need to do to get this person in a good position and that's that's what i would do in that case
0: that's good that's great. And in fact, I had ACL surgery coming out of college uh, my last game. A couple of meniscus tears and a, an ACL. And one of the issues I was having was just this. I'd be doing my either kettlebell, dumbbell, barbell squats and having my knee kind of come inward. And mm-hmm. you know my trainer and one of one of the best trainers I've had. You know he pointed out the, the glute, just the glute shutting down from the surgery and being having to swing that hip without the ACL kind of caused that glute to to atrophy. And so we did some of the exact same things you're talking about, just band work around there and just force practice forcing that band outward helped yep. correct that huge. Just great advice there, Pat.
1: Yeah, and you know I I I'm not necessarily going to say that any pattern or any position. Is is bad, um, you know, mm-hmm. by itself. But but what happens is we usually start to see the knee bowing in as as a form of compensation or as a last resort or as to trying to trying to you know get those last couple inches of the rep right. Mm-hmm. Which, that is technically bad form. So if you were learning to squat with some, with some inward bowing of the knees and you started very, very light and built your strength up with that, it's kind of a different story, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's happening involuntarily, which is kind of a kind of thing. So if you're squatting really heavy and you can't squat without those knees going in, then it's a problem. So a, a lot of, I believe, good form and bad form comes down to intention, right? What are you intending to do and how are you working up to it? Because it comes down with the deadlift. You absolutely can do rounded back deadlifts, but mm-hmm. if you're going to train rounded back deadlifts, you have to start light, right? And you have to build your way up. The problem when people get hurt is that, you know, they're doing a max rep deadlift. They've been using a flat back and then they round their back. Their body's not ready for that, right? Oh, wow. Sa- same thing, same thing with the swings, right? The flat back is always going to be the strongest position. Um, you know, But but I believe that the human body was, was made to move in many, many different ways and, and good form and bad form is kind of an ambiguous line, right? Absolutely. But but at the same time, we have to have standards for most people, certain safety standards for most people. Um, and it's important as a coach to have those standards of, all right, what do we look for in each exercise? What would we consider good technique and bad technique? And only once you own those standards, right, then should, then should you or could you start to kind of explore around?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's real good. Now, for some of the folks listening, they you know, maybe they're just they want to get started on this. Um, let's talk a little bit about recovery and switch gears. And what are some of the things you're doing to kind of help your your body bounce back from some of these workouts?
1: Well, the biggest thing is sleep. Absolutely, you know, if you're not if you don't have some type of sleep schedule or sleep ritual, and if you're not getting enough sleep, that's got to be the thing you work on you know, before anything else. Mm-hmm. So a few things that I, I recommend for sleep is, you know, try and, try and have the lights out before 10 o'clock if possible. Try and try and go to bed around the same time every night. And try and have some kind of ritual before you go to bed to start winding your body down. And I wouldn't recommend electronics or, you know, video games or anything or, or like a stressful movie, for example. You want to you do things that are going to try and cool off your nervous system, you know, want you know help you relax before you get into bed um, mm-hmm. because typically you know when somebody's not recovering well it's either from you know poor sleep, too much exercise or a combination of both right Good. so um before you know we could talk supplements and this and that, but I think people have to get honest and real with themselves and 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 more often than not uh, deal with the actual problem at hand and <laughs> Uh, Right? People people want to know like some supplements is going to help them recover better because they don't wanna they don't wanna set have a bedtime for themselves, right?
0: Yeah. Oh that's that's huge.
1: We have to be honest, right? We we can't live in denial. So sleep is the biggest thing, right? Try and get to bed around ten o'clock, if a little sooner is fine every night. And look, I know it's 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 fun to stay up to midnight or one or two a.m. and every now and then you can do that. But if you're serious about your health and fitness, having having that steady bedtime is important the other thing is is making sure you're training as much as you need to but no more than that right so we we mm-hmm. talked about that earlier is if you know if you have general strength and fat loss and you just want to be you know lean and healthy and and mobile you don't need to be exercising at a high intensity for an hour a day seven days a week that would actually be contradictory to your goals because at some point you're going to burn out um, you're going to get injured and you're going to all your progress is going it's not sustainable it's going to start sliding downhill right so trying to find that minimum effective dose, right? What is, what is the least amount that I need to get the results I want and, and sticking with that because that's going to be what you can do long term, right? And I'm, I'm very much a long term kind of guy. Now look, will somebody get quicker results working out seven days a week for an hour a day and then the person who only works out you know, intensely, I'm talking about intense exercise, three days a week for 20 minutes a day? Maybe, but we have to look who's going to have the better results a year from now, two years from now, right? And unless that person who is who is overtraining makes some type of dramatic shift to the program, it's not going to be them, right? So finding the minimum effective dose of exercise is important. And, you know, three days of intense exercise is is usually plenty for most people. And the other thing that I, I recommend for recovery, aside from sleep, is a lot of brisk walking, right? And... It's one of those things that doesn't sound too exciting, but if you can just get out and and do some type of brisk walk for twenty minutes a day, your recovery is going to improve, your mood's going to improve um fat loss is definitely going to speed up um good things happen from brisk walking so those are kind of the three you know main elements of not just recovery but you know just a balanced healthy you know lifestyle and then from there, I think you know there are some there's definitely um Some argument to be made for certain supplements. I think if you you are working out intensely, you're lifting weights and you're training hard a few days a week, magnesium is usually something that I would recommend to most people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's a good supplement. If you get a magnesium chelate, it's not expensive either. You can get a a bottle of that for like $7. You know, making sure you are having your protein, especially post workout, is important for most people. but you know keep keep it simple you don't you don't need a lot of stuff to, to get good results you just need to be consistent with the stuff you know you should do
0: that's that's so good and i think you make some good points on you know this isn't very complicated and some of the you might open up a men's health magazine or muscle and fitness magazine and see some of these supplements and think it's you know basically it's a chemistry experiment that you've got to be able to pull off for you to recover <laughs> well but it's not that i mean what pat said we're talking about sleep we're talking about having a good amount of protein after a workout, um, and maybe a little magnesium. I mean, some of the some of the biggest things, some of the biggest issues in our bodies start with sleep, right? So you, mm-hmm. a, a lot of people I know, Pat, are you know they're getting to bed 12, 30 every night, waking up at 6:30, thinking, oh, six hours is good. Let me just slam down a caffeine, some some, mm-hmm. some sort of caffeine, a pre-workout or a coffee, and I'm good to go but now they're chronically stressed, they're chronically uh, they're chronically uh, restless and you know their workouts are going to suffer and they're not going to see the results they want.
1: Yeah, and then they typically you're absolutely right. And then, you know, then that perpetuates a cycle of doom, right? More caffeine, more overtraining, less sleep, right? Yeah. And then the hard part is is, you know, somebody starting out or short term, you can you can lose body fat by doing that, right? But then you get to a point where it's just not sustainable and you'll start gaining weight. Uh, and then it plays this, like, psychological trick on people where they'll start gaining weight despite how hard they're working. And then the last thing they want to do is scale back. They often think they need to do even more, right? Which, which is the worst thing that can happen. But the truth is you do need to scale back, right? That is that is the solution. Yeah. Um And it's a very you know, just it's a snare, is what it is. And it's 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 easy for people to fall into that. But if you can kind of reverse that process and focus on getting better sleep, you are going to have more energy. That you won't need as much caffeine. Your workouts are going to be better. They're going to be more efficient. You'll get to sleep easier, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing: is good sleep perpetuates good sleep. Bad sleep perpetuates bad sleep.
0: Right. <laughs> that's great advice, and you know what I what I sense from you really is the fact you really enjoy what you do. You really enjoy your process. You enjoy your workouts, and that that's the type of advice I think we need to give: is that I mean, enjoy the process as much as you want the results. And so, don't think Rome is built in a day. Especially in America, we think everything just needs to come quickly with fast food and and quick results. This is and take your time, enjoy it. It's a marathon workout. Uh, enjoy the way you feel enjoy the way you exercise sleep hard enjoy your rest
1: Mm. enjoy
0: your recovery right
1: yeah absolutely and you know i think enjoying enjoying the process is a huge part of it and we all know that the the best program at the end of the day is going to be the one that you stick with and you're going to stick with what you enjoy and what also gets gets results so that's why I, i try not to be dogmatic i think we're all dogmatic in some ways right but i try not to be dogmatic about exercise and when i coach people you know I'm not going to make you use a kettlebell if you really don't like kettlebells, right? We're going to find we're going to find a way that you can enjoy what you're doing and also get the results that you want. Um, so, so being flexible in in your approach, whether you're a coach or you're just starting out, um, you know, but, and that's something that I think is kind of unnecessary in the fitness industry. And I, I used to be a part of the problem before I, I I kind of grew up. Is you know you have people ragging on this or that or you know. <laughs> I won't give any examples cause I don't want to perpetuate it. Right. But yeah. but if, if something gets somebody started right and they're enjoying it and they're improving, that's a good thing. Right. Because you know, I, I was fortunate that I had some, some great coaches early on, but even, you know, a, as I went through my journey, I was led astray many times by, by bad advice and gimmicks and this and that. And that's, that's really not something that I want to push forward. And you know, at, at, Potentially, the risk of sounding a little monotonous and repetitive of of you know keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple. Um, I do and love what I do, and you know I feel that I, you know the results that I get people are are a direct result of sticking to a simple process.
0: That's good, man. That's great advice. I mean a few takeaways right enjoy what you do enjoy the process enjoy working out and enjoy the results I mean, those are huge things for anyone looking just to get started in something get going right and then that's that's coming from you pat get get started at something whether that's um you know if that's uh, whether you want to race a a marathon or whether you want to get started in kettlebells or you want to get started on olympic lifting or whatever it may be get started because like you just mentioned there's whole blogs and sites dedicated to just Tearing down what other people are, are are promulgating, and so you could waste your time and your energy on that. Just to me, that just seems like a bunch of stress and an unneeded, unneeded things to think about. Yep. <laughs> to be honest with you,
1: it, it's you know it's it's true, and um, but you know, for, fortunately, you know, there's there's so many options for people to explore different avenues of, of fitness and health, and. You know, everyone's going to have different tastes. You know, everyone everyone's going to enjoy different things. And if you you want to,
0: you enjoy the intense
1: exercise and this and that, uh, or if you if you enjoy walking, that's fantastic. You know, some some of the healthiest people in the world all they do is walk, right? That's it.
0: That's good. That's real good.
1: <laughs> uh, we can't we can't forget that. Um, you know, I. I, I I enjoy a very kind of mixed or balanced program. I love lifting heavy some days. I, I love short, intense metabolic workouts other days, and some days I just like to walk and stretch. And I feel that that you know that covers almost all the bases. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we have to, as a coach, you know, or trainers or whoever else is out there, you know. We might think we know what the best program in the world is, of you have to do this on this day or that on the other day, but but look, we might have the best program in the world, but if it's not practical and if nobody's going to follow it right, or if nobody's going to enjoy that, then what is it worth? Right?
0: exactly
1: so, so we have to balance that practicality versus the best program in the world and, and come up with something that is going to be accessible to people that they're going to enjoy they're still going to get results they're going to stick with they're and they're, they're going to want to grow with it they're going to want to evolve in it and what what happens so often is somebody might start with one thing and end up loving something completely different right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's happened to me many many times you know i never would have thought i loved loved working out with barbells uh you know, I, I detested lifting weights in in middle school gym class when I did that. But I got into Taekwondo, right, and martial arts, started getting fitness, and then you know now I love barbell training and, and heavy weight training. So you know things can change. But if if I didn't have that thing that I really enjoyed doing to start, I would have never got to where I am now.
0: That's good advice. I'm the same way with you. Obviously, I you know again sports background, but. Recently got into you know, trail running and, and just springing up mountains, getting outside, and man, it's just it's fun to find new loves and let your body morph and just enjoy what you're doing. I and mean, it's a huge portion of it, right?
1: Yeah, so, and I think the adventure side of it, like you said, can can be great motivation for some people.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, we've covered almost all of our bases, but I think there's one other base that we should really touch on, and that's the nutrition aspect of things, right? And you authored the Paleo Workouts for Dummies. Um, which is an awesome title, by the way, and, uh, and you mentioned pa- the word paleo is in there. What, what are some kind of the things you're eating? Are you are you do are you on a paleo diet? What are you eating? And then secondly, what are we what are we doing for pre and post workout fuel for folks that are looking to get into kettlebells?
1: Sure. So, so some you know funny funny tidbits about that. I, I would say I'm like paleo-ish, right? I'm yeah. not. I don't. In the same way, that I don't like to perpetuate dogma in exercise. I don't necessarily like dogma in nutrition either. Um, but, but Wiley approached me to write this book, and you know, I say, "Hey, I'm a fitness minimalist. Here's what I do." And they're like, "Well, we really, you know, we want to get get the word about what you do." And you know, paleo was very popular at the time. It's still popular, so they wanted to have a kind of paleo slant. And I think the fundamentals are the bones of a paleo diet are good, right? Eat foods that are mostly unprocessed, that are close to nature. Don't eat too much, you know, focus on lots of vegetables, have some some meats and some healthy fats. Mm. That's great, right? You can't go wrong with that. Where I think it can get dangerous for some people is is when you get, you know, a little too dogmatic about it, where if if you feel that nobody or you can or nobody should ever have a bowl of rice, right? I wouldn't say that's true, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, for anybody or nobody should have quinoa because quinoa isn't technically paleo well I wouldn't say that that's true either right so if we were to kind of get my nutritional approach down to you know its essence uh, it, it has to start with the individual right like mm-hmm. anything else right and and what might be the ideal diet for me might not be the ideal diet for you or, or anybody else some people might do great with with more carbs other people might do great with less carbs I've I've worked with people who are all over the spectrum, right? I've helped people lose over 100 pounds on, on a higher-carb diet. I've helped people lose over 100 pounds on a lower-carb diet, right? It was just what was most practical and useful to that person. But there are some you know, prevailing principles, I think, to healthy eating and kind of hit those already. You know, Eat foods that are as unprocessed and as close to nature as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eat when you're hungry, but don't eat when you're not hungry, I think is a big one. And learning to differentiate cravings from hunger is also important, right? Good. Um, you know, that that's probably an hour-long conversation on its own, but we'll just drop that egg. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um and then some other, you know, in some other like general rules that help generally, right? Because you gotta make some generalizations is you know, try and eat maybe a hundred grams of protein a day, drink a hundred ounces of water a day. Um you know, stay away from from sugar that isn't in fruits and vegetables. You know, try to avoid the flowers. You know, the simple things like that. Um, but again, it, it all depends where you're at because somebody might be able to make those tweaks and, and be great with that and get awesome results. Somebody for somebody else, you know, maybe it's just getting rid of soda for the first thirty days, right? Yeah. Maybe that's the first step that we need to make. Uh, because, uh, again, yeah, we, could, we could come up with this checklist of, of these things that, you know, the absolute, we call it the, the get shredded program, right? If you do these 10 things and you only eat these 10 things, you'll be absolutely shredded. But how many people are actually going to do that is the question, right? Or be able to do that? Yeah. It'd be very, very few. Um, so you have to, again, be very kind of radically honest with yourself and be like, all right, well, you know, what can I do? And for some people, you know, maybe it is just getting rid of sugar. At first, or limiting or, or most days of the week, or, or getting rid of bread, or this or that. And, you know, there's, there's like anything else, there's no one right answer, but there are certain general, simple principles to follow.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so you've got, let me give you a hypothetical you've got a, uh, a client that's coming in, wants to you know, get started at kettlebells. Maybe they're, let's just say they're two or three months in. They want to kind of take it up the next level for fueling. You know, Is there something specific they should be eating before and after? You mentioned the protein shake. Anything else?
1: It depends what their goals are, right? So if somebody wants to add strength or add muscle or if somebody wants to lose fat, you know, it, it, that could determine which direction we take. So there's a few strategies that I, I do like. I think if, if strength and, and muscle are a goal, you should be trying to get – probably around your body weight in grams of protein a day. I would I would maybe argue your lean body weight, which would be your total body weight minus fat mass in grams of protein a day is important. We talked about post workout nutrition is, you know, definitely important. I usually try and have people get in some type of quickly assimilating protein, you know, fairly soon after a workout. Um if fat loss is a goal, um, one thing that I, I really do enjoy and advocate is is occasional fasted training or, or working out in a fasted state and one of the best things to do um, is just get up first thing in the morning maybe have a cup of green tea but nothing with any calories in it do a short intense kettlebell workout you know 10 minutes and then go for a 15 minute brisk walk that's going that's gonna do a lot for you if fat loss is, is a goal Should, mm-hmm. Don't have to do it every day, shouldn't do it every day, but occasionally that can be um, a nice little something to add to your routine.
0: Dude, that is that is great advice. And you, uh, You've written extensively on some of the intermittent fasting stuff. Um, would you say that you'd go uh, – that's for a little bit more advanced folks or can people kind of just getting started, can they mix some of that in?
1: No, and that's, that's actually a great question because I, I see fasting a lot like exercise, right? Both are stressors, right? But if they're used in the right amount, that stress is a good stress, what would be called a used stress, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with fasting in, in many ways, which is the problem with, with exercise, is people try to start out with a marathon, right,
0: mm-hmm.
1: rather than than a five-minute walk. Um, so, you know, in the same way that if, if we exercise at a high-intensity, you know, good, good, good results can happen. Um, if we fast at a high intensity, good results can happen as well. But if we, if we do it too often or too frequently, then we kind of lose those benefits and maybe even start to experience some drawbacks. So one thing that I recommend if you're just starting to get into fasting is the easiest way to do that is, Hey, just, just skip breakfast a couple times a week, right? Mm. Because the, the research shows that most of the benefits of being in a fasted state, which include increased lipolysis or fat burning, increased growth hormone pulse and frequency, increased neurogenesis, which is the birth of new brain cells. Fasting is, is, very, is a very potent health tonic, it really is. Um, but most of those benefits occur within the first 14 to 16 hours anyway, so you don't need to do some 30-day like, you know, you know, fast by any means to experience many of the, the benefits of fasting. Mm-hmm. So it comes back again to what is going to be practical for the individual. Um, and a lot of times it's just, hey, you know, practice skipping breakfast a few times a week. As you start to feel good from that and experience results, then we can maybe start to play around with the longer fast, maybe uh, up to 24 to 32 hours. I, I would rarely recommend going beyond that stretch of time. Uh, but it's important to also see fasting like exercise. You know It is going to be a stressor. It is going to be a challenge. It no, won't necessarily be easy. But the goal is to find a, a way to challenge yourself but also ensure that you're still successful, Right. That's good. And that's a big part of of my philosophy because first impressions matter, right? And if I'm if I'm bringing somebody into the gym for the first time or coaching somebody online for the first time, right? It's it's my job to make sure that they're challenged but successful because if they have a bad first impression now, that, that might severely demotivate them and, and turn them off from exercise or fasting altogether. So it's important, and you can do this to yourself at any point. And you know, there's been many times in my life when I've done it to myself by, by biting off more than I can chew. Start with a period that you know you can be successful with because when you get those wins right out of the gate, right, when you get those early wins, that's going to do a lot to build motivation to increase confidence and make you want to push uh, you know, to that next level.
0: That's such great advice, Pat. Um, we're coming up on the end of time and you've got such a wealth of knowledge here. I really am excited to hear what you got to say to this. I usually ask the guests at the end of the show, two or three things that they really love to live by, whether that's a performance related thing, uh, thing, a health related thing, a spiritual related thing, whatever it is for you. What are two or three things that if you had a microphone you could shout at the top of the, uh, of the mountains you know, to everyone listening? What would oh, you tell man.
1: them? Yeah, let's we'll see if we can get this to be concise because I would say <laughs> conciseness should be one of those things, right? Uh, minimalism, less is more, right? In so many areas of your life, you know, less is more. Less distractions, living more in the present moment, enjoying the process. That's huge um, for, for a health perspective, for a spiritual perspective. And the less clutter you have in your life, the less clutter you have in an exercise program, the less clutter you have in a diet, right? The more you can truly enjoy the process and get the results that you want to have, right? So if that overriding principle for me is definitely minimalism: less mm-hmm. is more. Beyond that is is practicality. You know, start where you have to start, right? No, no matter where that is, start with you have to start. Whether it's whether it's five minutes of exercise a day, if it's skipping breakfast once or twice a week, week, whether it's 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 meditating for three minutes, right? Because I'm a big into meditation too. So if you know, don't start with an hour-long meditation. Nobody can do that, right? <laughs> start with three minutes, or don't start with you know two hours of prayer if you if you want to start working on prayer. Whatever your your spirituality may be, because I do feel that's an important component, is start where you have to start. And make sure that you're challenged but successful. Those would be the principles that I would give to people.
0: Excellent advice, man. I think I've learned. Uh, I don't say this to everyone. I know everyone always thinks you, know, podcast hosts, they just say whatever they want to the guests. But I think I learned more in this podcast than I have learned in any of the ones so far. Just <laughs> truthfully putting that out there. So Thank you very much. It's been an honor, Eddie. Absolutely. Before you go, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, so a few things. Most of my uh, content and communication nowadays is actually done through um, to my email list. So easiest way to get on that would just go to 300swings.com. And what that will do is if you um, sign up for 300swings.com is you'll get a free training manual on the 300 Swings Challenge. If you're interested in that, it'll teach you how to do the kettlebell swing. So that would actually be a good resource for everybody. If you want to want to learn how I teach the kettlebell swing, uh, there's free tutorial series in there. Um, and I'll put you on your email list. I I send a couple of emails every week um, trying to share workouts, advice, a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. So if, if you... Have kind of enjoyed the minimalist philosophy
0: then then maybe that would be something that you might want to check out awesome pat thanks for so much for being on the show man
1: thank you for having me eddie let's do it again absolutely